Uh, now, I've shared this idea a few times, honestly, over the last, it feels like the last few months, like this keeps coming up, which is just weird, but um, I, I'm like, for notoriously have not been uh, like a big crier, right? So I've talked about this, like I'm not usually uh, like a big crier that wasn't kind of part of my story. Like I used to be the guy that for years and years was like, man, I only cried one time in my life and that's when the Saints won the Super Bowl, right? Like that was kind of like, and that was kind of true, right? Uh, but I like had like this pride in this as if like crying was like this weak spot, which I've come to realize is just foolishness, right? It's just, that's just, that's just silly. That's inaccurate. And so it's really over the last kind of few years where I felt like the Lord kind of like tenderized my soul, uh, you know, because watching This Is Us and stuff like that. And so, um, and like different things that God has done where all of a sudden there are these moments where like I just, I get like, I get emotional. Like I get, I start like the tears start coming. And the, the biggest moment this happens for me is when I see like, like legitimately like, like a big like burly dude that like just kind of, you know, your quintessential man's man break down in tears, right? Like when that happens, I can't like contain it. Like that just for me sets me off. Um, like if I, there's this guy that's in my life and, and he's, he's just kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, just like a man's man, just like this strong, great husband, great father, just a great guy, cares for his family, cares for people well. And, uh, and he was talking one day and he, asked, he was asked this question, he asked, um, they asked him, man, if, if you could hope for one thing for the church in the next season, because they were on an anniversary Sunday type of thing, and this next season of life for the church, what would it be, right? And he said, man, I, I, honestly, if, and, and, and tears like immediately begin to well up in his eyes, right? Um, and he says, if, if the church could just somehow believe in grace more than they do, that would change everything right? And he, and he starts, like, crying, right? And I'm watching this. This isn't, like, this, like, promo video. And I'm just weeping, man. Like, I'm, like, tears on my keyboard type stuff. Like, I cannot contain it um, because, like, this reality of the beauty of the grace of God had so overwhelmed this, this man's man, right, who doesn't cry. That, 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 man, he was just poured and lavished and understood grace. And I think in a way I didn't understand, but I longed for, right? Um, and, and that's kind of the heart that I wish to kind of like hand off to you guys this morning as we open up his word, especially you Christians who've like been in the game for a long time, where you've heard the grace term over and over and over and over again. Like, yeah, I, I know grace. I'm like, I, I don't doubt that you know what it is. I doubt sometimes that you believe it, because I know I doubt that about myself also. Like, do I believe the depths and the understandings of what grace really is for us? And so, Last week, Anthony preached on just one verse, 1-7, one uh, and so let me read that to you because it's going to build off of last week. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, right? So everything that comes after this, the next three verses, 8 through 10, are all unpacking this beautiful grace that has brought about forgiveness and redemption and, and, and adoption and, and all these amazing things. Also, I always forget this, but if you want a Bible, raise your hands and Brandon and Lydia will bring you one. Don't feel weird about this. We pass them out every week. We want you to follow along with us just to get your hand up when they come down and grab a Bible, okay? Um, and so I, I think, uh, I don't know where I was at. Oh, so we're building off in this idea of grace and trying to unpack this reality. And I think one of the things absolutely necessary if we are to believe grace in a deeper and profound way, Brandon, right here in the middle, sorry, right there. Just get it up there, girl. Don't, yeah, there you go. Um, is I think we need to understand our need for it. Uh, I, I think we need to understand our sin. And, and, and that's not just like a very 
fun, popular thing to talk about, especially in church today, is to like navigate that we're sinful and we're broken and we make terrible decisions and we hurt people at times uh, and we rebel and reject God. And we've done that, honestly, since the beginning. And sometimes we have better days than others in the whole deal, but that sin is a real part of this world um, and that it has created a greater need for God than we've ever realized, okay? Uh, and I think if you don't realize your need for God, then you'll never understand the grace of God. You'll never really believe in it because you don't think you need it that much. And so I, I want to share this quote with you, um, and it, it's by this guy, R.C. Sproul, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with R.C. Sproul, but he was kind of one of the, it's like one of the last great, he was still good enough to, in, to like give initials to his first two names, you know what I mean, type of guy, like R.C. C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer, V.M. Garvey, um, <laughs> you know, those guys. Uh, no, that doesn't fit, right? Like you hear that, you're like, no, that doesn't make sense, okay? Uh, maybe Anthony? Anthony has two middle names. That wouldn't be A-P-W-G, which is, that just sounds weird. Um, and so, uh, so R.C. Sproul says this, um, and, and, and I like, there's like tons of stuff that he said that I'm like, man, that is, that is really good. Um, but I think this, as I was meditating on this week, um, is helpful for, for my soul uh, and helpful for my understanding of grace in, in really profound ways because I often think of myself more capable than I am. Okay, and let, let, me, let me read it, and then we'll go back to it. It says, God is not obligated to save anybody, to make any special act of grace, to draw anyone to himself. He could leave the whole world to perish, and such would be a righteous judgment, right? And I'm like, that is super heavy. Like, that is, wow. Um, and, and then you have to wrestle. It's like, do, is that true, though? I mean, like, is, is that true? Like, if, if God just stepped back and said, no, like, this, this is what's on you. This is, and I think, like, the more I study from beginning to end the totality of Scripture, that's just kind of what humanity deserves. Th that we see that sin rushed into the world per Genesis chapter 3, and the world was fallen and broken. It says that you and I are dead in our sins and trespasses, meaning not alive, incapable of doing anything. Dead people do no things. And so God, in his grace instead, has come and decided to save. Now, here's again why I find this so necessary in our belief about grace. Is that if you think that you're just a pretty good person, like if you think that at some level you earned this salvation thing, or you earned his love and his favor, or you earned your whatever you have in life that you lean on, you will not understand grace. Because grace easily defined is unmerited favor. Undeserved blessing. You did not earn this, and yet you have received this, right? This is like my kids' story every Christmas, every birthday, and usually just every other day when they just get something from us, right? Because I can't help it. I just buy them presents, right? They do nothing but make my life worse, and yet still, I'm just kidding. I'm totally, I love my kids. But parents, you know what I'm saying? Like in a moment, you're like, I hate you. And so, um, but I love you, and so here's a present, you know? Like it's like you lavish this upon your children out of what you just love your kids, you love them, and so you give them stuff, and oftentimes the things that you give them just make your life more difficult and loud, right? It's like you don't need another xylophone, right? But here, I love you. That's grace. This, this is what God has done. He says, looked upon all of humanity and said, all you've done is made my life a nightmare. You've rejected me at every cost. You've hurt each other. You've maimed each other. The second I give you a decision not to choose me, you eat from the tree. The second then you're outside the garden, you murder your brother. 
And then every single moment from then, it's been a cycle of just rebellion. God coming in saying, no, I still love you. Here's my grace. Come back. And he does it successfully and then once and finally in Christ. So this, this, this is the gospel story. And, so, and if we want to believe that in abundance, like I, I know I want that. Like I want to be like floored by grace. And I want it to apply to my life. And here's the reality is the reason why I'm like so hot about this this week is because I began to analyze my own life. And I think the best question to ask yourself about whether or not you truly believe in the grace of God is how well do you dispense grace to others? How often do you just give away goodness, kindness, love, joy, peace to those who've done absolutely nothing for you? How often, right, do the people that maybe even, I mean, not, not even that they don't even know them, they've done nothing but harm to you. And that can be on the macro level, like it just they are harmful people in your life. Do you still give grace? Or maybe it's just in moments, husband and wife. How often, man, when your wife or your husband are frustrated and you're in an argument, do you choose grace over justice or what you think justice is in the moment like I do? And so I began to honestly analyze my life. I was like, man, do I dispense grace as much as I say and want to believe I've received it? And the answer was a resounding no. Now, some of you in here, maybe you're just great, you know? And, that's, and that, if you're just like, no, I'm like a super gracious person. And I know some of you, and you are, and so just keep it up. But I, but I know for a lot of us, if you're like me, that I'm not always great at that. And it, and it, it, it speaks to a disconnect of what I believe God has done on behalf of me as an individual and us as a church and the world and his creation that had nothing to do with what I could bring to the table, okay? That, that, that's what we're talking about when we talk about grace this morning, okay? Um, and so let's jump into the text uh, finally in verse uh, 8 of Ephesians chapter 1. Um, and, and it's kind of actually going to read 8 through 10, all three verses, to kind of give us the whole picture because this is a breakdown of grace from Paul unto, and remember, we're in the middle of kind of this 12 verse from verses 4 to 13 at the start of Ephesians is this traditional Jewish blessing meant to denote and talk about the goodness of God, okay? And so let's look at verses 8 through 10. Grace, okay, from verse 7, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So we're going to get kind of the what, okay, the, the how and the why of, of grace. Now, this is not meant to be exhaustive, but within this context, kind of the what, the how, and the why uh, of, of this grace as meant to, to point us in and give glory uh, to God in heaven. And so let's go to verse 8, okay? Um, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So, okay, all of that grace that we just talked about. Now, I think at best, and maybe I'm just speaking of my own experience again, um, at best, when I tend to like dispense grace, it's almost reluctant, right? Like it's, it's almost kind of like, well, I know I should treat you well. I know you deserve grace because I've been graced. And so let me kind of like let you dabble in my grace for a bit. Like, I don't want you to really feel loved and cared for and cherished and forgiven and all that stuff. I want you to kind of feel it, but then like, like feel it to the point where you know that I'm a gracious person, but not enough where you really feel that love. Like, I mean, and again, maybe I'm just this wicked person, but I think we don't often dispense grace within the context of what we get from God, which is what? That he lavishes grace upon his people, okay? That he, he pours out his grace upon people. 
Um, I was living in Thailand for a while, and we went to this, it was brilliant, man. We would go to this waterfall, and we'd go all the time just to people watch these little Thais. And, and I don't mean that derogatory, sort of, like they're just, Thais are smaller people, okay? Um, and so, man, we were there, and this waterfall is a significantly powerful waterfall. Um, and so what would happen is you would get, like, we would just sit there for hours, and you would see one Thai after another, like, I'm going to go stand under the waterfall, okay? And so they would go, and they'd walk up, and they'd climb out on the rock, and as soon as they got under the water, what do you think would happen? just smash right into the rock, and they'd fall into the water and slide down. We'd laugh for a while, make sure they're okay, and then the next one would come up and do it. It was like lemmings, right? Like it was just like watching lemmings over, and they're like, what are you doing, right? And, and honestly, like that's the vision that like popped into my head this week, thinking about the lavish grace of God. Like, like on the real, was just this reality that like his grace has been poured out and lavished upon all of those in him to the point, man, we shouldn't just be able to stand. Like it's poured and falls upon you. And I think we often treat it like it's kind of this like addendum and addition to God's salvation. When I think it is the central gift of God that he has blessed you and I and those in him with what we did not deserve. Love and patience and kindness and salvation and grace, okay? This is an incredibly, like, beautiful, unbelievable picture. You would stand beneath the waterfall of the love of God, and it would just crush you in its weight. But I don't think we experience it at that, t- that type of level, okay? And so uh, I want us to, though, right? Now, here's what's interesting about that. It's so when you read the second part of verse 8. So it says that he gives, uh, he gives this, right? He gives lavish grace upon us. and says, in all wisdom and insight. Now, the first way, like the easiest way to read that oftentimes would be, okay, so he lavished grace upon us in all wisdom and insight. I think oftentimes we read it, well, God lavished grace upon us using his wisdom and insight, right? Like that's, at least that's how I've read it for a long time. Like in wisdom and insight, did God say, here's some grace, right? But that's actually not, not the way, like the, the English language just doesn't do a great job of kind of breaking that down. What it's actually saying is, no, I'm going to give you grace in the package, okay, of wisdom and insight, okay? So I'm going to deliver unto my people grace packaged in wisdom and insight. And I think he does this because he knows full well we don't do well in understanding grace. It's very contradictory to the way we do life here in this world. Like we're very much a, hey, you've done that to me, I'm going to do it right back to you. You've treated me poorly, well, then I'll walk away, right? We don't often say, well, you treat me poorly, well, let me just bestow upon you love, okay? That's just not, that's just not often a reality. So I think what God does instead is, hey, I'm going to lavish grace upon you. I don't think you would easily understand it, so let me package it in wisdom and insight. And so as he gives away and waterfalls grace upon you, he's also equipping you with wisdom and insight to know, believe, and apply it well that you would be able to discern the goodness of the grace of God in your life. Be able to navigate it, apply it, and then give it away to other people. Like, that, that is the point. Like, he's, I'm going to package this in such a way that you will be able to understand something that you would never understand outside of me. Because what is not often that much of a gracious people? But in him we can be because of the way that he's given it to us. And I just love that vision for how he's brought that to us. That grace poured upon sinners, wicked, broken people who could do nothing of their own, that could not save themselves. So he said, well, you know what? I don't think you'll figure this out, you who are dead in your trespasses. So let me give you grace, packaged in wisdom and insight with which you can understand. That we, as I think we learn the greater depths of our brokenness, experience the greater depths of his grace. 
Jesus talks about this very idea, actually, um, in, let me find it, sorry, notes, uh, Luke 7. Okay, so Luke 7, he shares this parable, I want to share it with you real quick, and just listen up. A certain money lender has two debtors, okay? One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly, right? He's like, so you got these, these two guys, and they've both kind of just done terrible things. And in other words, they've gotten into debt. It could be anything. Uh, toss in any of your issues, any of your sins, okay? But in this specific circumstance, you got two guys in debt. Jesus comes to him, or the money lender comes to him and says, you know what? You're both good. Let's cancel out both. No problem. Who loves that guy more? The person who has been forgiven more. Now, we know that the reality uh, of the Bible and what God talks about in his grace is that, man, we've all been forgiven the same amount, right? Like, you've been forgiven for every possible sin in him that you have done, uh, will do today, and will do in the future. Like, it's canceled out, seen through the blood and the lens of Jesus. But I do think that the principle remains that he or she, who understands the depths of their brokenness, their sin, their need, their depravity, etc., will greater worship and love the one that has saved them and forgiven the debt. And so much of our, our lives and our culture um, tells you to kind of forget about your bad, right? Like, like just, just forget, specialize in your good. Don't think about your bad. It's just a mistake. Don't worry about it. And hear me. There is this unique, interesting balance that is the gospel story that doesn't want you to experience shame, that doesn't want you to experience like, like this overwhelming sense of guilt that would come from dwelling in your sin. And yet at the same time, very much wants you to visit it, confess it, and repent of it. In other words, acknowledge you've done it, turn the other direction, and live differently, right? And yet I think so much of our culture is saying, no, don't even worry about it. Just move forward. Don't think about the past. You're fine. You're a good person. It's like all of these things, they seem somewhat innocuous. What I'm telling you, what I think they do is they detract and take away from our ability to see the bigness of the grace of God in our lives. Because I can say without a fact that God has graced you more than you believe this morning. And me too. So again, us. He has graced us more than we believe. And I want to know the depths of God's grace. I want to know the lavishness of the grace of God that has been poured out. And I think part of that means I have to acknowledge that I don't have it all together. And so we need to let go of kind of the rat race that is this contemporary Western culture, right, that's trying to prove ourselves to one another, whether it be in person or online, to say, no, I mean, I'm as broken as the person next to me. Like, literally, I guarantee you, everyone sitting next to you right now, every single one, even the ones you think you know really well, are way more broken than you think, okay? I just guarantee it. But also, I guarantee you that they are way more graced in Christ than you would ever imagine and loved in him. In any way that you think, oh, no, God, no, they love, he loves him far more than that, right? And I think these realities help us kind of navigate grace in a way that moves us just from, like, knowledge to actual belief, belief to application, which I think is necessary as we continue to work through this. Okay, so let's keep going. Verse, uh, what are we in? Verse 9. Um, Making known to us the mystery of his 
will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Now, if you look throughout kind of uh, a lot of the New Testament scriptures, you see this word mystery will pop up a good handful of times, right? And it's almost always referring to the gospel. Like it's just saying the gospel story, the will of God to come and redeem and restore and to save that which was lost, that, that mystery. And what's amazing about this mystery is you have to notice that in the midst of this, this was according to his purpose, purpose being translated as his good pleasure. It was God's desire, his good pleasure. It made him happy, right, to come and to redeem his enemy. Just love that. Because again, I think we often then, even in the most altruistic ones, we begrudgingly love our enemy. But no, God's like, no, this is my good pleasure. I am delighting in the fact that I get to give grace to those who have done me harm. It is an absolutely scandalous idea when we really visit what God has done on our behalf. This is this grace thing that should transform and change us. That should change the way that we treat and care for this world as well. Okay, um, And so, uh, verse 10. As, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, things uh, unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Okay, so, so here's, this is the why. Okay, so if we have the, the how is accomplished, sorry, I missed about The how is accomplished in Christ, the gospel story. That's how he brings kind of this dispensing of grace to the world. It happens in Christ. Christ kind of opens up the doors for the floodgates of God's grace unto the world. And then this last part is, is the why. Why in the world then would God do this? Like, why, oh, why? If, if we didn't, like, have a ton to offer him in that sense, right, that deserves salvation. And, and don't get me wrong, he delights in you. He delights in relationship with you. All that stuff is true, right? But if we did not bring anything to the table that warranted our salvation, which I don't think we did, okay, um, why, why would he do this, okay? And so we get his verse 10 in this beautiful verse that sums it up for us in saying, <clears throat> as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth, that from the beginning of time unto the end of time, that the plan of God, that the idea of God, that the thought of God, that the work of God has been to dispense grace upon his creation, to lavish grace. This is not just something that randomly he thought of in response to your rebellion, that he knew you before you knew you and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give grace to these people. I'm going to pour out love and kindness on these people. And they're going to experience the depths of my goodness in the midst of their brokenness. I'm going to come to my enemy. And I'm going to save them. Okay? And this has been his plan since the beginning. So that he could unite all things under his name. That in the fullness of time, right, that God, Jesus Christ, would be the sole king, ruler, authority over this world. And you just begin to think through, as I was just kind of trying to meditate on this reality this week, of the level of disunity and brokenness and fracture that exists in our world today. Last night, I don't know how many people watched the Olympics. You get into that? That's like my thing. Like, I, I just, like, growing up as a kid, we used to watch it as, like, a family every night, sit down, primetime TV. I'm not all that patriotic, but when you get me to the Olympics, it's like I hate everyone that's not American, okay? Um, like, just on the TV. Like, if you're here, no, I love you. But, um, but I'm just like, I'm just like, let's go red, white, and blue, you know? Like, you got, we got to win the gold medal count, the whole deal, you know, and that type of thing. And so I get really into the Olympics, and one of the things that's kind of happening right now in the Olympics, if you're not following it, is that North Korea, uh, if you're not too familiar with North Korea, you need to read more, okay? Um, and so North Korea and South Korea have decided to somewhat unify 
uh, for the Olympic Games. They have one team. So it's just like the flags and everything just says Korea. It shows the entire peninsula, not just north-south. They're not divided. All kind of the materials that are coming out, even the women's hockey team, uh, they actually took, I think it was like 12 players from the North Korean women's hockey team with the 12 or 13 players from the South Korean team, and they made one team, right? And so, uh, and they're playing and they're doing all that stuff, right? And what's, what's in somewhat, you know, it's like, wow, that, that's neat. Like, that, that's cool that they came together to do that, okay? Um, but the games are going to end in, like, 12 days, okay? Uh, and, and then we're going to go back to a reality where there's, there's two separate Koreas, okay, that have two separate leaders, one of which is somewhat hell-bent on destroying the world, okay? Like, it, it, yeah, like, it's, it's this, and I think the laughter in some ways is appropriate because it's, that's, in, like, this is a neat kind of gesture for 14 days. But what's going to happen is you're going to have two separate leaders and you're going to have disunity because they have completely different visions, not just for their countries, but for the world and for humanity and what truth is. And so what you have here in this verse is the greatest hope that this world could ever hope for, is that there would be a perfect, loving, altruistic, wise, king and ruler that would unite all things under him for his glory and for the joy and salvation of the world. And this has been his plan since day one with which he accomplishes that fact through grace. That's Okay, so listen, the greatest end for all of humanity, right? And it's something that every like major philosopher is trying to figure out in our world today. How do we move humanity unto its greatest end, right? Like the studying sociologically, what do we need to do? What do we need to implement? How do we need to treat each other? What policies need to be changed politically, right? That we could end up in the greatest end. And I'm telling you, the greatest end is this. And the only way to accomplish this is grace. And yet we don't think that much of grace, I think, most of the time. When it is the primary conduit with which the greatest hope of the world will be realized. And so, now, now, now take that and what God's doing that on a macro level and think that he has now taken that same grace and he pours it over you and lavishes it over you. Setting you free, forgiveness, removing shame, brokenness, pain, and pointing you to freedom in life, community and faithfulness, and himself. Back to Thailand, when we were there, we go back to this waterfall to enjoy kind of our, our Thai lemmings moment. And, uh, and we show up one, one day, and someone had built a rope to hold on to. Um, they had like, you know, like, hey, you, now instead of just walking out and letting the water just pummel them, someone thought, hey, you know what would be helpful? A rope. And so they build a rope, tie it, you know, they put it into the rock. And so now they walk out to there and they hold on to this rope as tight as they can, right? As this stuff just starts pouring, this waterfall is just pouring on them. And they just sit there, now, probably not comfortably, right? But they just sit there firm and steady holding tight onto this rope and they just get pummeled by this goodness. And so we went out there, and we did it this time. It was like, that does look awesome, you know. And it's an experience unlike the other. I mean, just getting destroyed by a waterfall was amazing. You're just holding on so tight, you got a fear, you know, you're going to die. Okay, now listen, like that rope, like let's just continue the analogy, right? That rope is Jesus. Like he's your solid footing. He's your foundation. 
He's the one thing, I don't care where you're at in life, you need to cling to, okay, to be able to make it through this world. And even to be able to understand and live in the grace that he pours out. Because if it's just grace that's kind of this distant thing that's disconnected from Christ and your relationship with him, you'll miss it, okay? Because it's only in Christ that we are forgiven. And so we understand our sin deeply. We're broken. We make terrible decisions sometimes, okay? We hurt those around us the whole deal, okay? So we're sinful people. But Christ, in Christ, right, the gospel, the mystery of his will made known, saves us, redeems us, restores us, does what we could not do, dies the death that we deserve to die. That's grace in that, right? So then we cling and hold tightly to that as that grace is continuously poured out over your life that you would have a fighting chance to walk in this life the way Christ walked in his to be able to have that communion consistently with the Father, to know his love for you at all times, even when you make mistakes, that his love for you abounds, even when you're depressed, that his love for you abounds, even when you're questioning your identity and your understanding of truth, that his love for you abounds, that even when your best friend comes against you or your husband and wife fight with you, that the love of God abounds over your life because you are given what you do not deserve to be given, love, peace, kindness, hope, joy, and grace. It's just, that, is, that, that then sends us, right, to give that away to as many people as we can, to our friends, our family, and everyone we know. And so, again, I'm done. I just want like, I can't convince us more of why, like, this is, grace has just got to be something your mind should wake up to, reflect on, celebrate, praise God for, live in, and give away. I, I can't, like, convince you to do that or believe in it more, but, man, I hope the Spirit will. And so let's pray and let's ask him to do that very thing.